0: From him who started stewardship of creation with love. And from him who completed his love. Come all grace and mercy and peace to each of you and every one of you tonight. You know, it's said that he who starts many things finishes very few of them. I know some people right here who can start one thing and still not finish it. I got books at my house that I've never even started. I've got other things that I've started and not finished that are sitting off in a dusty corner of my garage that my wife is begging me to get rid of. But that's life. We start a lot of things in life, don't we? Sometimes we finish them. Sometimes we don't. The reasons for not finishing something that we've started, though, vary. It could be anywhere from a a lack of interest to a lack of energy to maybe just a lack of ability. I once watched my father when I was uh, in junior high build a grist mill out of wood from a picture that he took. He got an A on my my project in history for that too. But I thought I could do the same thing that my father could, and I looked at him, and I watched him, and I tried to do it, and I broke his jigsaw. So he wasn't very happy with me. I thought, um, I watched a teacher one time, one of my beloved teachers in high school, teach an autistic child how to play the flute. And yet I couldn't see one of my children through and teaching them guitar because I just didn't have the energy for it. I, um, I lost interest one time in playing with my sister, broke her heart. My sister, who looked up to me, stopped playing the game with her because something more interesting came along. You know, I'm sure we can all come up with the ways that we've started things and, and never finished them in, in our lives. And some might argue that there's just some things out there that just don't matter whether they're finished or not. Sometimes we look at them, uh, projects, and think they're just worth abandoning because they've consumed too many resources and too much time. And honestly, the cost doesn't, you know, just outweighs the benefit of something. That may be true of a lot of our man-made projects, but what of those of the divine? What if God decided to give up on us? What if God threw his hands up in the air one day and said, You know what? I'm tired of you hard headed, frustrating people. What if he decided not to send his son, Christ Jesus? That's a scary thought. Thankfully, God chose not to go that route. Thankfully, God started something years ago, centuries ago, millennia ago, out of love. Because he didn't want to see his creation go by the wayside. Because he knew that we couldn't do it on our own. That's what it comes down to. Why God did that. I look over there and I look at a baby and I think many different things. What do you think when you see a child, a baby? Sometimes you think peace. Sometimes you have the joy as you look down at a child. I look down at Jesus, and the first thing that comes to mind is, why me? Well, it's all born out of the reason why God culminates tonight, what he started. It's love. And not just any kind of love, my friends. Not the love that we throw around you know, when we say that we love something and then three days later it's broken. Or we say we love somebody and the next day we're not talking to them. No, this is an unconditional, and dare I say an unconventional love that God has for us. And that's what it takes. It's a special kind of love that caused God to stick with something through thick and thin. And it's a love that God has for us and then he expects us to share with other people. And in case we forget that basic tenet of our faith, of love, this first letter from John reminds us, first and foremost, that love is out front, leading the charge of reconciliation between God and his creation. God's love, God's love is not something you can describe, really. Because it's not not a describable love. It's not just a love that, that we speak is it? God's love is a love of action. It's something that has to be shown and experienced. And I think about love, and, and I try to, try to describe it, and the only thing I can do is go back to those dark, deep times of my life when I thought there was no way out, when God reached down and rescued me. And I bet that every one of us has a moment like that in our lives that we can look to. And how did you feel How did you feel when he he pulled you up from the depths of shale and caused you to stand again? Was it a joy and an excitement that you had? Of course it was. Did you want to keep it to yourself? No, you didn't. You wanted to go and share it with other people. God's love was one that said, I'll never again destroy my creation in a great flood. God's love was one that that kept sending kings and prophets forth to try to get his people to turn back to him every time they turned his back on them. Every every time they turned their back on him, I should say. God's love is patient. It's one that spoke to King Ahaz, the evil king of Judah, trying to calm Ahaz down when he was surrounded by all of his enemies and not, not sure what to do. It was one that told Ahaz and tried to reassure him that I will be with you no matter what. You face in life. And when Ahaz tried to test the patience of God, God still gave him a sign, one that's fulfilled centuries later in a peasant woman in a small town in Bethlehem. You see, God's love is a reality, it's shown in action. It's a love that we've obtained in Christ and a love that we both live within and that we're expected to live out in our lives. John reminds us just how much God loves his people. John starts off this letter calling us beloved. If you know what beloved means, it means love so much or loved much. Because that's how God looks down on his people. He, he sees the oppressed. He sees the broken. He sees the poor, the outliers, the marginalized. And he doesn't look at them any different than he looks at those who are the religious elite. You know what he sees when he looks at his people? He doesn't see color. He doesn't see gender. He looks down at his people and he sees brokenness. He sees people that he desires to love, to heal, to bring back to him. And when his people ask for forgiveness, God freely gives it because God loves. John also reminds us that this love that God has for us is not a love that can be contained. It's an overflowing love, and as such, it's a love that, that we're to share with one another. Christ tells us that the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, and all your mind, and all your soul. And to what? To love your neighbor as yourself. Unless we forget that command, then John makes it crystal clear that God's serious. He says, beloved. There's that word again, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But why love? For the sake of loving? Do we love because we expect something in return from God? It all goes back to the promise that God is with us. God spoke to Ahaz through Isaiah about the sign that God would be with us. And through Mary, God entered into our lives through His Son, Christ, born of flesh and blood, love that's embodied. God's love made manifest so that whoever believes in Him might have life in Him. And again, John tells us, if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. You know, in Christ and through Christ, God has finished what He has started, fulfilling the promise of salvation for His creation. But while we've obtained that life through Christ, we still have to live in this fallen, crumbling, broken world, waiting for the second coming. And there's still a lot of love that needs to be shared because there's still a lot of brokenness even amidst those who belong to God. Our world desperately needs to be love. Just turn on the news and look at it every day and see what goes on. I remember reading a story years ago. It was back about 1995, so it's back some time, about a family who had 11 kids. They left their Midwest town in Kansas were heading out to Colorado, and they got about halfway there, and they realized they started counting, and they were missing one of them. There was only 10. Now, they didn't say, oh, well, we got 10. We'll just catch up with the other one later. No, they immediately slammed on the brakes, went to the gas station, filled up, and started heading back. Fortunately, the police had gone over to the house found the child who had to be, happened to be playing hide-and-seek but didn't tell anybody about it, <laughs> got the child and met this family at the border, the border of, of their state in Kansas. And they were reunited, and there was a lot of joy and happiness at finding this one that was lost. And, you know, that reminds me, I tell you the story because it reminds me that that's who God is. God doesn't leave anybody behind. God doesn't desire to leave anybody behind. God will always go out seeking the lost sheep that got out of the pen. God will always go out seeking the broken. God will always bring His love when we turn back to Him. God loves those in our world. Not the world itself, but those in our world. And He wants us to love one another the way He loves us, unconditionally, without borders. The love of God we are to share is not just even with our family members or those sitting in our pews right here. It's beyond these borders of this church. It's going out into the community, even our workplaces, in our schools, our neighborhoods, caring for those who are hungry and homeless. Those who are left on the sidelines, who have no friends, the widowed. Even tonight, as we gather to worship and celebrate the birth of Christ, there are probably people in our midst who are hurting, who are missing loved ones tonight, or have loved ones who are in the hospital. Tonight, we're going to light our candles in the darkness, and we're going to solemnly sing Silent Night. And we're going to leave here at the end of service and leave back for our homes and God only knows what the kids are going to dream of, probably what they expect to see under the tree the next morning. Many of us will go home and some of us have presents to wrap yet. Many of us are just going to go home and hope to lay our heads down and go to sleep. But I tell you what, there's people in this world right now who are going to go home empty. There's people who are going to go home tonight and, 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 and cry because they're lonely. There's people tonight who are going to go to bed filled with anxiety, hoping just to survive another night, wondering what tomorrow is going to bring. And yet, through it all, God's love is at the ready, ready to be renewed within you and I tonight, ready to be shared, ready to go to work in somebody's life who's never experienced that love that we have. And tomorrow, Tomorrow we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the long last coming of God's promise. And while Christmas culminates what God started in sending His Son, while it brings the long last awaited King, it's not over with. For we await Christ's second coming and the blessed hope and assurance of God's love by carrying on the sharing of God's love with our fellow human beings, caring for the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the hungry, the homeless, the grieving, the whoever we may encounter in our lives. And that's my prayer, not just for this Christmas, but for the days that lie ahead in our lives, that we would be filled with God's love, that we would keep our eyes and our hearts open and filled with his love to see the people that so desperately need to have that shared with them, that we would not quit on being God's children, not quit on the mission that he started in us, but that we would carry it forth and see it through. From start to finish, God has loved. From start to finish, we have been his beloved. And this Christmas, may the love of God make you perfect in every good work to do his will. May the peace of the Lord rest with each of you. Merry Christmas. Amen.